most of us don't even know that simple differential and assume that the very first thing somebody says is welcome to ultra habits here we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra enhanced living Howdy folks, it's RJ Singh coming to you from Ultra Habits. I am at the beach, I am sitting in my car. I have a meeting in 30 minutes and I wanted to quickly take the time to introduce our next guest on the Ultra Habits podcast, Oscar Trimboli. Now, Oscar is an expert in listening. He's actually an author of the book, Deep Listening. And I came across his work about a year ago when a friend of mine sent me a short quiz developed by Oscar to uncover what our listening villains are. And my wife and I both took the quiz and we weren't surprised by the results. Now, listening is indeed an ultra habit and it is something that I'm not very good at. I hate to admit it. Now, we live in a world where we're quick to talk, quick to answer, quick to be quick off the mark, as they say. And I think what has happened as a result is we've really lost the skill and art, I suppose one can call it, of deep listening. Now, the good thing is Oscar believes it is a skill and it is a habit that we can practice. And this interview is all about how we can improve our listening skills, the power of actually deeply listening to each other. And we also talk about what happens when we, when we don't get it right. So really hope you enjoy the interview. It's a powerful interview. Oscar's got an unbelievable presence. Some call him Yoda. And I'm sure throughout the interview, you will understand why. Anyways, y'all, I'm out of here. Take care. Peace. Today, I want to welcome our guest to the Ultra Habits podcast. We have Oscar Trimboli. And Oscar and I had a conversation scheduled a couple months ago. And I got super sick. And we finally... <laughs> have found the time to come together. Welcome, Oscar. Ajay, I am looking forward to listening to your questions and I'm super curious if you're fully recovered because those things take a while. Fun, fun, funny you say that because my son actually got sick again two days ago and I've been sleeping in a different bed because I was like, I cannot miss this conversation again or Oscar's going to think what's going on with this guy he's got some kind of serial sickness thing happening in that house so I am I'm good I'm good and I want to jump straight into it so Oscar the subject matter that you speak upon and that you have expertise upon is is deep listening now to me it's a subject that makes a lot of sense in respect to why we should be competent and capable but the interesting thing about it is you don't really see or hear a lot of conversations about it, or you don't read a lot about the power of listening. It's more about the power of kind of communicating your point of view and influencing. So I really think it's a super skill. And that's one of the reasons that we wanted to get you on to the show. So I'll just kick off with the first question. So they talk about listening is an art. I want to ask you, is it an art or a skill or both? Yeah, look, li listening is an art and a science. And although in the West, we don't speak a lot about listening, high context cultures like China, Japan, Korea, 
India, Australian Aborigine communities, the Maori of New Zealand, the Inuit of Canada. Uh, listening is a deep part of their traditions and the way they pass on stories, the great storytelling traditions of the great listening traditions as well. So listening is an art and listening is a science. There's uh, a lot of work that's been done since the 1960s on using scientific methods like MRI machines to measure brain patterns while people are listening to particular stories being read out. And most of us, RJ, we have no idea what good listening is. 86% of us think we're above average car drivers. 82% of us think we're above average IQ. 84% of us think we're above average listeners. So the first problem with listening is simply awareness. Uh, I don't know about your school or where you got educated, but I didn't have any kind of teacher teaching me how to listen, even though I spend at least half my day doing it. I had a conversation with a uh, consultant. His name was Dan Markovitz. Uh, he's a contributor to the HBR, and he's written a book called The Conclusion Trap. And we actually had that interview the week after you and I were supposed to have that conversation. And I actually mentioned you in the interview because what he says is in schools, we're taught to raise our hand. Like you're rewarded to be quick to answer not necessarily to reflect and to think. And if you kind of do that, you're, you're sometimes seen as like slow off the mark, right? If you understand the neuroscience of thinking, you think at 900 words per minute on average. Some people can think it up to 1,600 words per minute on average. And you can speak at 125. So that means... In any one minute, you can say 11% of what you actually think. And then raising your hand really fast to answer the question, your odds of saying what you think drop dramatically. They may be 5%, they may be 3%. And most of us don't even know that simple differential and assume that the very first thing somebody says is what they mean. Whereas in fact, it's just the first thing they say. <laughs> So for, for many of us, when we are listening to somebody else, if we understand the differential between their thinking speed and their speed at which they think, we should become very, very comfortable with just saying, tell me more. And what else? And just use pause a little more to get the next 125 and the next 125 out. Here's a dirty little secret of listening. It's not your job to make sense of what they're saying. It's your job to help them make sense of what they're thinking. And when they do, they talk about their essence and their meaning rather than a whole bunch of noise that comes out of their mouth originally. So for, for many of us, when we understand this differential, we also understand that the people who speak the most in the workplace are the people who speak the most in the workplace. Yet many of us will often say, wow, Mary doesn't speak very often, but when she does, we all listen. So for many of us, we get stuck on this continuum, extroverts versus introverts. I don't buy into labels for people. I think labels are really good on food jars and uh, pharmaceutical products. But when it comes, if we label people's behaviors rather than the person themselves, we can start to understand and listen to things a little bit more deeply. It's pretty profound. So you're, you're saying going beyond 
what you may be hearing and the labels um, that we're presented with and actually taking the time to decipher what's going on under the hood. That's pretty profound. So just on the back of what you said, why do you think people, and is this a Western thing in your experience? Because it seems almost uh, built into us, but based on what you said earlier, it may be a Western quality. Why do you think we're so afraid of quiet moments in a conversation? It's embedded in our language. It's called the awkward silence, the deafening silence, the pregnant pause. There's a whole range of language that sits around that. Uh, in, in the East, uh, silence is a sign of wisdom. It's a sign of respect. It's a sign of authority. And, and it's not unusual to be in a meeting in a Japanese office where the leader might hold silence for up to three to five minutes as they consider what, what's the alternatives. Now, the East or high context cultures, which isn't only the East, it's cultures that value elders, it's cultures that value storytelling traditions. So you could go to the Amazon, you could go to the Inuit way up in the polar ice caps of Canada. And the importance of being present and available first to listen, because here's the next dirty little secret of listening. It, don't focus on the speaker as the starting point for listening. If you focus on the speaker, that's the wrong place to start your listening. Listening starts by listening to yourself. And in these high context cultures, there are great traditions of breathing, of meditation, of presencing. In Australian Aboriginal communities, we have these things called yarning circles, where they're circles where you come together to tell stories. And the first thing you do is become present to yourself. Now, in 2015, the most commented thing in the Google employee engagement survey was a practice they brought in that year that if there are more than six people in a meeting, the meeting commences with two minutes of silence. Not only was it most commented on thing in their employee engagement survey, it was believed to be one of the most productive things they did in meetings of six or more. So when these practices are present, people can slow down, get the noise out of their own head because most people turn up to a conversation with a radio station playing that's tuned into their own frequency. The radio station might tell them something about the last meeting you had with this person or it could be the next meeting. And in fact, it's happening to you right now while you're listening. You could be thinking about a coffee you should have had, a meal you should have had, a chore you need to do on the weekend. For many of us, we're not even aware what's going on in our subconscious. So I've done, in 12 months, I've done about 190 uh, webinars where we simply do one thing. We ask people to pause for 90 seconds and then write down the impact of that exercise. And most people say it's really noisy. That's the most common word they use. Occasionally they use the word calming. Occasionally they use the word relaxing. But noisy is the word that comes up the most because it's the first time they've actually listened to what's going on in their subconscious. It's so interesting. And for, for those of us, uh, for those of viewers that are, are listening or going to listen and not uh, watching the video, uh, you're you're not going to see that in Oscar's background. It's effectively like a, a meditation center. There's candles. There's uh, dolls of Yoda. 
And I find it super interesting because it was a question I was going to ask you. I mean, what you're verging on is almost um, there's there's obviously the listening piece, but there's the the precursor of having a still mind. So in these seminars and webinars um, and engagements that you do, does meditation play a part in the actual program or part of your recommendation? Zero. We we find that uh, people don't find it practical and don't find it useful. It's in the workplace. So I disguise it as a 90-second exercise that just says, listen to what's going on inside your mind. Uh, I think if I was to put a label on it like meditation, people would make a judgment of it. So again, it's label free. It's like 90 seconds, just listen to yourself and then write down what you notice. And for many people, they are connecting there. It's easy to say, it's difficult to practice consistently. So for many people in the workplace, the concept of meditation or mindfulness is some spiritual ritual thing that really doesn't make any sense to them at all. And yet the most high-performing athletes, opera singers, snipers who perform in military operations, High performance in any field of pursuit starts first by connecting your body and your mind together. And the fastest way to do that is through the breath. If you get a chance, please read James Nestor's book. It's called Breath. And he's written three books on the topic. And he was a free diver. That's somebody who dives under the ocean without any uh, artificial help, no oxygen, no uh, snorkel, none of that and they can die for up to 20 25 minutes without uh coming up for oxygen and there is a correct way to breathe as there is a better way to listen as well so for many of us yeah we can put labels on it but i think unfortunately rj these labels uh they put people off and they have preconceived ideas about what that actually means and as a result they avoid it uh, I wouldn't say I'm a great practitioner of meditation. I've got three really simple techniques I use before I go into any conversation. Tip number one is always switch off the electronic notifications. And if you've got anything electronic, switch it off. But for most people, I just sounded like a drug dealer who took away your drugs. So any notifications, switch them <laughs> off, right? And uh, tip number two is uh, drink a glass of water every half an hour. And uh, if you drink coffee, you've got to drink an extra glass of water. And then uh, the last tip is three deep breaths before you dial into a call or a webinar or have a conversation with a person face-to-face. Uh, those three tips, really easy to say, really difficult to practice. Yet people who do do that, we track 100, uh, 1,410 listeners for three years now. They get about four hours a week back in their schedule mm. because they're listening to what's not said rather than listening only to what is said. So for many of us, we've heard about active listening, which is about listening to what people say, but deep listening is listening to what people don't say, but what they really mean. There's a lot of wisdom in what you just said. Um, and I would imagine, and, and just, just on that, we typically ask our guests uh, about game-changing habits and effectively those are game-changing habits. Now, what you're talking about is being highly in tune with our environment, within situations. What I can find with myself is 
and I'm getting better at it through prioritization and focusing on the essentials, but I may jam pack my day from end to end with all this stuff. And as a result, I'm looking for quick kind of high level takeaways in every engagement. Now, in terms of deep listening and active engagement in conversations, does it require us to, to do less in our day and prioritize, or can we still be flat out and be and give ourselves to every single conversation to the extent that you're saying, in your opinion? A lot of people think that listening is difficult, draining. You know, a lot of people say my listening batteries are you know, run down by the end of the day. If I had a percentage bar, I'd kind of need to plug myself into the charger as quickly as possible. And I always joke that that's great. And uh, you're listening the hardest way possible. You're trying to make sense of everything they say. If you move your orientation to simply go, it's not about me in the conversation making sense of what they say. That's important if you're vague and not really paying any attention or giving any attention then uh, people will notice you're not listening. Uh, listening is the willingness to have your mind changed, but listening is helping the speaker make sense of what they say. And when you simply spend time with the speaker, helping them to make sense of what they say, listening is really light, it's fun, and it's actually energizing. So the choice about when do I go deep, uh, you don't. You, you're, you're helping the speaker or the group make sense of what they're trying to say. And by doing that, you'll find that your questions are shorter. So a really simple piece of maths for everybody to think about is this. If your question has got more than eight words, it's linguistically biased. It means it's not even a question. It's a statement you're making with a question mark at the end wow. of it. I do so that a lot. <laughs> I do that a lot. I, I just realized because I'm guiding people back to my orientation. Correct. And for many of us, we don't take the time at the beginning of a conversation to go, hey, RJ, what would make this a great conversation for you today? And you use that as the setting for progress in the conversation, not the content. You know, people might meander a long way through the content and eventually they'll get there themselves. And most people will get there themselves. Uh, the brain with the problem, that's the brain with the solution. But many of us are addicted to problem solving, whether we're leaders or managers or parents. And we don't just take the time to go, hmm, if I just pause, help them listen to themselves, not only will they solve the problem now, but they'll have a way to solve it going forward. So they're not perpetually coming back to me and asking me the same question again. You know, so people giggle and laugh because I'm forever saying, I'd love you to tell me more about that. Well, what else? And just using silence and pausing myself, they'll fill the space. And here's the way you know you've been successful because a lot of people go, yeah, yeah, that's okay for you, Oscar. But what about for me? I'm busy and I've got lots of things and I'm back to back. And I say, look, it's really simple. When you ask these questions, the other person will do the following. They'll go, well, 
Now that I think about it a little longer, what we should be talking about is, well, I go, hmm. You know what's important that we haven't discussed? And off they go. It's always preceded by breath. It's always preceded by their spine becoming a little bit more erect. It's always preceded by their eyes widening up because they're connecting to what they mean rather than what they've said the first time. And a lot of leaders, I just, I ran a workshop just yesterday where we had uh, 200 leaders on and we, we talked about their listening addictions and half the room's listening addiction was they just want to solve the problem as quickly as possible so they can move on to the next problem that they want to solve as quickly as possible. And we gave them a really simple technique to simply say, imagine if you could help them solve not just the problem they're bringing to you, but the system problem. Because a lot of people bring you symptoms and your job is to help them understand how this is connected to other things as well. So listening shouldn't be tiring. Done well, you say a handful of words and let them come to their own insights. But don't get me wrong. If you say, tell me more, and then you say, tell me more, and then they say, tell me more, they're going to kind of get a bit frustrated with you because it's not really a human interaction. And you genuinely want to be curious and you genuinely want them to tell you more. But remember, as you just noticed, RJ, if you move the orientation to us rather than me, us is the intersection of them and you. So if you just move the orientation completely to them, you turn into a therapist and that's no fun unless you're a therapist, of course, but you're getting paid for that. Can I just quickly ask you, do you work with sales teams? Yeah, it's probably about a third of the work we do is, right. is with sales kickoffs. Uh, I'm also brought in to listen. You know, your call is being recorded for quality purposes. Right. I get to listen to some of those calls. And, and again, sellers often, uh, what's consistently differentiating a good seller from a great seller? A, a good seller is trying to beat the competition and a great seller is trying to help the client with the business case and solve their clients' clients' problems, you know, a great seller is always focused on the customer's customer rather than just the customer alone. And those are the people who consistently perform above average and meet their quotas consistently as well. So sales team is one application of this leadership teams, customer care teams, another application. And my furious rant will be on employee engagement surveys human resources departments who survey their employees at nauseam and never do anything with it. <laughs> have you ever, have you ever gone, gone to a, a gas outlet and they want to take a survey or an airport, they want to take a survey, you know, you never know what they do with that information. The difference between hearing and listening is the action you take. So it's one thing to hear what somebody says. It's another thing to take the action that they ask you to take as well. So there's some of the applications of uh, listening in, in the commercial context, which is my orientation. Well, let's go there because I think what's interesting is your background, I'm, uh, I believe, was um, in marketing and really understanding the nuances of communication and I suppose how well or not well an organization is listening to their customers. 
So let's talk about listening in the commercial context. What happens when a firm gets listening wrong? Like we all, we obviously know the obvious of losing customers, but what have you seen in terms of disastrous consequences? Well, it's not just losing customers, it's losing great staff. It's eroding margins. So you're less profitable. Your market share growth is much slower than your competition. Your ability to innovate is far less. And the innovation definition there is what percent of revenue are you earning from products you've created in the last two years? So it's a very holistic uh, context. And when we talk about losing customers, it's not just you're lost to the competition. Because you're not listening to your customers, your customers aren't referring you to other people they know. And worse still, they're complaining about you to 10 times as many people because you're not listening to them. And listening, again, is hearing what they've got to say and taking some action and communicating that back to the customer. But there's consequences in organisational safety. You know, the Deepwater Oil Horizons accident in uh, 2014 off the coast of Louisiana, that was a direct example of management not listening to the engineers trying to bring online the Deepwater Oil Horizon and bring it online too quickly because they had been in a maintenance period for a little longer than they wanted. And the engineers just said, if you bring it online quicker, there's going to be consequences. BP is still paying out, and they're up to $53 billion, $53 billion. But the most important number, RJ, is 11. 11 people lost their lives on that oil platform 11 fathers who never see their wives again, 11 grandparents who will never see their grandchildren graduate from school, 11 brothers, 11 uncles. There's a big human cost when we don't listen. But you go back to 2005, Dr. Rajan Raghu was presenting in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, to a group of central bankers, the smartest people in the finance industry in the world, well, supposedly at least, And he said the global financial system's plumbing is backed up and when it explodes, we won't like the smell. And they can still Google that paper. It's still up there on the internet. And he was actually laughed at. He was somebody who was from a different cultural background. He was from India. He was a vegan. He loved to read Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, and he loved fiction. And he was an electrical engineer by training. And he was in a room full of central bankers and economists who all had a finance background. And many of us ignore opinions in the workplace of people who come from a different background. But on the West Coast, at exactly the same time, a medical doctor, Dr. Michael Burry, he was researching the finance industry as well, came to almost the identical conclusion, but from a different method. And it's no coincidence that the outsiders are the voices you need to listen to in a commercial context to understand where the opportunity is and where the risk is. But when we don't have our listening ears on, the costs can be uh, hundreds of millions of people around the world lost their jobs Billions of dollars in savings are evaporated. And I'm not sure that the either the political or financial systems recovered from what happened back in 2008. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting when you put listening into a wider context like that beyond just one-to-one, 
but you talking about systemic issues with listening or ignorance, um, the implications could be huge. So let's go into your actual material, Oscar. What are the five levels of listening? Five levels of listening are level one, listening to yourself. Level two is listening to the content. Level three, listening for the context. Level four is listening for what's unsaid. And then level five is listening for their meaning. You can't access the next level in the five levels of listening unless you've spent some time trying to build the foundations at the level before it. So it's very difficult to practice listening to the content when you're completely distracted by everything going on in your head. Now, quick commercial break from neuroscience. You can listen continuously for 12 seconds. So don't worry if you get distracted while you're listening to me. In fact, I guarantee you have been distracted while you're listening to RJ and me. So for many of us, just knowing we're going to be distracted is enough. Oh, I'm distracted. So that's okay. Come back into the conversation as opposed to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Oh, wow. I hear there's really good fly fishing in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. <laughs> I haven't booked a trip for fly fishing in, you know, I might take the family camping in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Hey, honey, should we go on a trip to Jackson Hole? Wyoming? Oh, hang on. Back to the podcast. So the difference between a distracted listener who takes the 60 seconds that I just spent some time in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, or a deep listener is they know they're distracted faster and they just come back into the conversation much quicker. By the way, here's a really simple phrase that's guaranteed to drive deeper connection with somebody. When you do drift away and you've forgotten what they say, rather than try and figure it out, just say, hey, RJ, I'm really sorry. I just drifted off. Do you mind saying that again? Because I think it was really important. Hmm. And always courage. That takes uh, courage. It doesn't take any courage. It just takes humanity. And it says, as one human to another, I know you get distracted too, but I'm just being honest about it. And uh, I think a lot of people confuse courage with honesty. But don't say it over and over again because then they know you're not listening and you're just drifting off all the time. But what it does do then is it creates a connection to go, wow, Oscar was honest enough to tell me that. He must really value the relationship. And people jump to the conclusion you just did. Oh, that's courageous. Uh, that's something that's unusual. If we did it more often, we'd have less confusion and conflict and chaos in relationships because people would just tell each other the truth. Mm. And the truth is the neurology of your brain is you, you can listen continuously for 12 seconds so let's stop pretending that we're some Zen master who can listen continuously through the whole conversation. If you are, fantastic. Uh, but we're not all Zen masters. So uh, we're all human. We're all got failings. We're all imperfect. And I, and I think embracing our imperfection is one of the most important steps in becoming a better listener. Yeah, that's huge. I, I was having a conversation with an evolutionary <laughs> biologist Rebecca Heiss and her thing is fear. And we were having a conversation about how much easier the world would be to navigate if we were just honest about our biases that we were born with, 
right? Like we're all trying to cover up the fact that we have biases and prejudices because we want to have this cosmetic approach in terms of how we're looked at. And what you're saying is instead of covering up these kind of, you know, um, um, shortcomings or whatever you want to call it that we just naturally have. And I mean, this comes across in conversations with my wife all the time. Like I'm always trying to look like I'm switched on and I'm across it and maybe I should just put my hands How's that going for like, you? Oh, <laughs> honey, I actually didn't hear you. Sometimes I'll make up an answer to a question I thought she said, right? Like I'm like, I hopefully I've hit the mark, right? Because I think that's what she said <laughs> instead of, or I go to the shop and forget what she wanted me to buy. And I just take a punt and buy the wrong thing. And I come back and she's like, you didn't even listen to me. I'm like, well, you know what? I should have just called you and said, honey, I, f- I forgot what you told me, man. Yeah. And there you go. The cost of you just calling and saying that you forgot is much lower than the cost of you dealing with what you dealt with when you came home. Now, a uh, question I get asked often is uh, do men and women listen differently? And uh, what the research tells us is there's a marginal difference, but overall, not really. If you had to make a gross exaggeration, women listen to feel and men listen to fix. And uh, if you're a man who's on this podcast listening, women aren't broken, so you don't need to fix them. You just need to listen. And if you listen... Uh, you don't have to do anything. You just be there and be part of the conversation. And uh, women, uh, men like to see some progress sometimes. So if they're trying to fix something themselves, then listen to them and help them understand some alternatives rather than just trying to figure out how they're feeling frustrated about the conversation as well. All of us have listening villains and uh, we've got a really simple seven-minute quiz if people want to take mm-hmm. it at listeningquiz.com and we'll, we'll tell you which one of the four listening villain comes up. And more importantly, we give you a personalised report with three steps depending on what your villain is and the actions you can take around it. Because what, what I got asked over and over again, and uh, I should have listened, but people kept saying to me, Oscar, Oscar, please, can you write a book on that topic? Saying, oh, look, I'm really really busy. Uh, um, thanks. But, you know, um, and then three months later, another client would say, could you write a book on that topic? And so I'm uh, really busy. And then eventually I just went, mm, if I listen to them, uh, then I write a book. And the same thing happened. People asked me, um, can you make that into um, playing cards? So, so we have these kind of playing cards that people, there's 50 playing cards you can practice with one card a week and it's got a little tip on it. And then eventually said somebody said, can you, can you make that into a questionnaire? I want to share that with my team. And I said, I have no idea how to make a questionnaire. And would you like to partner with me and we build a prototype together? Because by now, RJ, I've figured out when my clients ask me something, it's probably a good idea to listen because it's probably going to create something useful, right? I don't want to come across as the perfect listener. I, I make lots of mistakes too, right? So we developed this quiz and, uh, yeah, we've been quite delighted now that, you know, over 8,000 people have taken the quiz and they, 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 they like how practical it is and it's so quick and uh, organisations are using it, but also school teachers are using it as well, which is, which is interesting because in Western education systems, we're taught 
from very early in our schooling to listen for similarities. The, where great innovation takes place is where people listen for differences, where breakthroughs in relationships happen. It's where we listen for differences. So one of the things you want to think about today is, have you been listening for things that are familiar or have you been listening for things that are different? Most of us don't even understand we have this listening filter in front of us. And most of us have a bias for listening for similarities because our schooling system taught us to do that. But neither is right or wrong, by the way. It's just become conscious when it's going to be useful. Uh, in sales, for example, listening for differences becomes really good in building business cases. Listening for similarities, great way to build rapport early on in the, in the conversation as well. That's brilliant. So, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's a, a really brilliant frame way of looking at it. So just to let you know, I took your quiz. My buddy Tof Evans, who interviewed you on a podcast back in the day, sent it to me. Uh, I think he was giving me a hint. And my <laughs> wife and I took the quiz. I think I was a drama queen. Okay. Uh, so you have like a, the dramatic type. Can you just go through what uh, the villains are, Oscar? Yeah, yeah that, that was me. Oh, that's me, brother. That is me. So, so. There's four listening villains, the dramatic listener, the interrupting listener, the lost listener, and the shrewd listener. The dramatic listener uh, loves to listen to the other person's story because if they say to you, gee, I'm really struggling with, your with my manager, they'll say, oh, you think you got a bad manager? Let me tell you about my manager. I got the worst manager of all. You think you got a hard client? Let me tell you about my client. You think your kids are terrible? Let me tell you about And what the dramatic listener is trying to do, they, they don't understand the difference between empathy and sympathy. They, they move from they want to create an emotional connection with that person, but what they don't realise is they're moving from a place of I want to connect to you to I want to be like you. So they move from being somebody who's watching a stage performance to becoming the actor on the stage. In fact, not only the actor on the stage, but the lead actor on the, the stage. They make and, it all about them, right? And, and that is the precise phrase our researchers told us that people who interact with a dramatic listener get most frustrated about. They're listening. They turn everything into about them. Now, what they are really good at so there's an upside to being a dramatic listener as well. What they're really good at is creating emotional connection. And if they understand how to stay in empathy, that must be hard for you as opposed to, oh, when that happened for me, that was really hard. The, the slightly nuanced language, but empathy is connecting to the other person at their emotional level as opposed to connecting at your emotional level. Now, what, what, it, what it does for a lot of people when you're the dramatic listener, people just know that you're waiting to jump in to tell your story. So they get really frustrated because it's all about you. So you may have a lot of very shallow relationships and that's okay. But in the workplace, that may play out as if you've got a lot of shallow relationships, it might mean in sales, you have a lot of great sales conversations, but not many sales. If you're a manager, you have high turnover in your staff. Mm. So there's consequences there. The next villain is the interrupting, the listening villain. 
uh, most people would say this is the easiest one to identify. They're the quiz show contestant that presses the buzzer before the host has finished the question, and they do a really good job of answering the wrong question really fast. <laughs> I do that too, by the way. <laughs> I'm so, all, I've got all the villains. And we, we all do, by the way, so don't, don't worry about that. So the, the interrupting listening villain values time. That's what they love. They value time. And when they value time, they're just trying to get there quicker. But unfortunately, they're getting there quicker, solving the wrong problem. So the next uh, listening villain is lost. Lost shows up as vague, detached. You might be in a team meeting and you're not sure why they're there. And they're not sure why they're there. They might have been invited there. Uh, and for me, that shows up at home on a Sunday afternoon, we, we always have a meal on a Sunday and my brother-in-laws come, come over very regularly and they get into this religion. Oh, my God. They get into this religion debate over and over. It's, it's the same one. It's the same one. And I'm lost. It's like I can't buy into it. And they keep on banging on about the same thing over and over again Canon versus Nikon cameras. That's the religious debate they're in. Oh, right. and, 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 and for me, I kind of occasionally get asked questions about, oh, Oscar, what do you think about the F-stop and the ISO setting on all of that? And I kind of go, let me check my phone because that's my camera. <laughs> but while they're talking, I am just drifting off somewhere else altogether. And the lost listener doesn't really understand their place in the conversation. And if they do, if they took the time to say, what's your expectation of me in this conversation, that would zone them in really quickly. The last one is the shrewd listening villain. This is the one I am in work. Shrewd listening villain looks like an amazing listener. They'll give you a great face. Mm, yeah. Tell me more about that. But the cogs in my head, these captioning that sits below that would be reading oh my god this is the world's most basic problem i am such an expert and they're talking about that oh wow i wish they'd hurry up and they can see the cogs going on in your head and they know you're trying to solve a problem but while you're jumping ahead solving the most sophisticated complicated problem you're missing the most important connection point with them around solving the immediate issue for them in the moment. Uh, shrewd listening villains disproportionately represented in selling professions, medical professions, architecture, research, any profession that takes a brief. A tax attorney is a good example of that as well. Now, all they have to do is spend a bit of time understanding not just what they're saying, but how they're saying it as well. They need to listen for emotion. They need to listen for inflection and they need to listen for language patterns in what people are saying. So they, these four villains show up differently. You will be a different listening villain at home than you will be at work. Listening is situational, it's relational and it's contextual. You listen differently to a police officer than you will to a school principal. You'll listen differently to an actor than you will to an accountant. You'll listen differently to a parent than you will to a child. So our listening is like a, 
a, a constantly moving mathematical simultaneous equation. Knowing what our villains are, we can do something about it. Without knowing what our villains are, it's like uh, trying to get into a car and say, let's have a conversation. Well, where are we going? I don't know. It, this gives you a roadmap on how to get there, RJ. Mm. So now I know my villains and I've got some level of grasp on what they are. How do I start to actively cultivate deep listening as a skill? And what are the habits that I can implement to support that journey, Oscar? So deep listening is a practice, it's a skill, and it's a strategy. There's many levels to it. So the first level is just to become conscious and educate yourself to what, what are my barriers? Take the listening quiz. The, the next step is those three tips I talked about earlier on, people always go, yeah, 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 but give me the real tips, Oscar. And it's like level one, listen to yourself. On the five levels of listening, we want to come back and listening to ourselves. The best way to listen to ourselves, hydrated body, an oxygenated brain, and no electronic notifications. Practice that for 90 days. And what we're being told by people in our database, on average, you're going to get four hours back because conversations paradoxically shorten, not lengthen, because you're getting to the essence of the conversation. Relationships connect better, whether that's with clients, employees, or your loved ones in life. And as a result, you can start to move to the higher levels of listening. And that's why we created the 90-day challenge. If you take the listening quiz, we'll invite you to do the 90-day challenge and we'll just send you a reminder every week to go, did you have a glass of water every 30 minutes in that conversation? Did you switch off your electronic notifications? And, and for me, these three basic practices and taking deep breaths are really critical. But as we move to level two listening as an example, a lot of us listen just to words. Level two means you need to listen to what they say. Watch what you see in terms of their body language and sense what they're trying to express in terms of emotion as well. So this is level two. So when you have a look at the book or the cards or spend a bit of time there, we spend a lot more time saying it's not just what they say in terms of sentences. It's also what they say in terms of stories. And it's also how they structure the way they explain it. So as we move to level three, we're starting- Can I ask you something before you go mm. on, Oscar, with that? Do you have to be an empathetic person to be a good listener? No, but it helps. <laughs> I'll give you an example. A lot of people say interrupting is bad when it comes to listening. That's not true. A good listener is like a good book editor. They take a whole bunch of words and put it into a way that can be expressed to be useful for that person and everybody else. So empathy is important, but it's not the only ingredient. You can be extremely empathetic and we have a very long conversation, but it doesn't actually make any progress. You can be in empathy, 
but a, a good listener also has a sense of progression. Remember that question we talked about, what would make this a great conversation for you, yeah. RJ? A good listener would hold that as a compass setting for the conversation. They would check in about every 15 minutes and go, hey, RJ, remembering you said this is what would make a good conversation. How are we going with that? An empathetic person would stay in the content rather than thinking about the context, which is level three, the next thing we were uh, talking about. So level three, it's really understanding the backstory, not for you, but for them. So I'll give you a simple example. A quiz show contestant has been arrested by the police. That's a movie. Or I could say Salim Malik and his brother Jamal lost their mother at the age of five in a Mumbai street riot. As a result, they fall into the hands of gangsters and spend their teenage years pickpocketing on behalf of these people. But along the way, Jamal falls in love and changes his way. He gets a job in a call centre and becomes an expert in trivia, which makes him the perfect contestant for a quiz show who wants to be a millionaire. Unfortunately, he's too perfect. And as a result, he's been arrested by the police on the penultimate episode of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Now, I've described exactly the same movie, but most people have a conversation and they just say, quiz show contestant, arrested by the police. That's how they describe the problem. When we help them understand the backstory, they can make sense of how long the problem's been along, who are the characters, how do they all fit in together, and so do you. So when you start to listen for contextual things, you also start to listen for the bigger systemic problems, not the symptomatic ones that are coming up. So quiz show contestant arrested by the police, there's the problem, or is it? Or is the problem about the perception of somebody who's too quick to answer the quiz? Then, then we go to level four, we'd listen for what's unsaid, just simply say, tell me more and what else? and practice with silence. And then level five is listening for meaning. Jennifer is an ex-school teacher and she has a son who comes home from school and Christopher's his name. And at the age of six, Christopher says to his mum, mummy, mummy, I'm so excited. We learned division at school today. And his mum said, great, what did you learn? He said, I learned a three is half of eight. And Jennifer puts her hands in her head. She's an ex-primary school teacher. She says, no, honey, four is half of eight. And Christopher says, no, 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 mummy, three, three, three is half of eight. So Jennifer goes to the kitchen cupboard, grabs eight M&Ms, puts them on the kitchen table, lines them up like little soldiers, picks up her son, puts her son on the kitchen table and says, look, Christopher, here's four and here's four M&Ms, four is half of eight. He jumps off the table. She's completely freaked out. He runs to the cupboard, gets a piece of paper, gets a pen, draws the figure eight, shows it to his mummy, says, look, mummy, here is eight. And he folds the piece of paper in half, tears it in half, and shows her that three is also half of eight. Now, too many of us are completely addicted to the concept that four is the only answer to anything in life. We go through thinking we've been taught that four is half of eight, but there is another way to look at the world. And what it meant to Christopher was 
three is half of A. And by the way, zero is also half of eight, depending on how you look at an eight as well. Now, here's the postscript to this story. In that moment, Jennifer realised that her son was special. He had gifts that other kids of that age didn't have. Christopher was uh, assessed by a paediatric doctor and discovered he was autistic. And today, he's one of the most sophisticated bug catchers for Amazon, the software part of the company, because he thinks about the world differently. And not enough of us are listening to what people mean. We're too busy trying to convince them that four is half of eight. Which one are you? Oh, that's brilliant. Context determines meaning, right? Mm. That's really interesting. So before we wrap up, I'm interested to know... How did you get so interested in listening, Oscar? Uh, I wish I had a really easy answer for this question. I went to a school with 23 nationalities. I think I learned to listen to body language by um, listening to people speak in, in Vietnamese, in, in Cambodian, in Portuguese, in Spanish, in Polish, in Russian. Uh, that was really important because we were playing cards at the time. Don't tell our teachers. Um, but, but I could only speak English, so I needed an advantage. And their eyes always gave something away. But I don't think that's the answer. I think what happened was I had a, I had a vice president who pulled me aside during a budget meeting between uh, Seattle, Singapore, and Sydney. This was, I think, about 2008, 2009. She said, see me after the meeting at the 20 minute mark. And all I could think was, oh my God, I'm getting fired and I don't even know why. And all I was doing was trying to figure out how much money uh, I had left. How many weeks of cash did I have left? And uh, the meeting finished a little bit early. Well, it was pretty ominous because Tracy said, please close the door. It's like, please come here and sit next to me. It's like, she goes, you, you don't know what you did at the 20 minute mark, do you? And the captioning in my head just went, I'm getting fired and I don't know why. She said, at the 20 minute mark, the way you listen changed the trajectory of the meeting. Not only did it shorten it, it got us to where we needed to do because people gave up on their assumptions. If you could code the way you listen, you could change the world. Now, in that really profound moment where I should have been listening, the only thing that was going through my head is, I'm not fired. I've still got a job. <laughs> and for six weeks, I never thought again what Tracy said to me until Brian, our chief financial officer, said to me, hey, tomorrow, can you come to our budget setting meeting? I want you to audit my listening. I said, Brian, I haven't got time for this listening thing. I don't know what you and Tracy have been talking about but i got to deliver $1.2 billion on that budget line you just gave me. And I, I don't want to be busy. I want to be doing, I want to be making progress. He says, oh, look, I'll make it simpler. You are coming to the meeting tomorrow <laughs> and you will order my listening. And for the first time in my life, I had to sit down and watch somebody else listen. And I went, oh, wow. He interrupts a lot. Oh, wow. He asks really long questions. Oh, wow. Um, he thinks the first thing they say is what they actually mean. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, no pause. And so I'm writing down all these things. And then what I realize I'm writing down is how I listen and comparing it to how he listened. And that started 
a decade-long quest, which I'm on now, to get 100 million deep listeners in the world because I realised that, yeah, I do listen differently and if I could code it, I could change the world. That's extraordinary. And I think that's a lesson for anyone that has a skill. Um, It's inspirational for anyone that has a skill or um, an ability to do something. And it's a very noble cause, right? If we can all become better listeners, we'll become a better world, right? So I really commend you on that, Oscar. And I thank you so much for your time today on our show. Thanks for listening. Now, just yes, yes. Now, quickly, where can our audience find you, Oscar? Where are you at? Listeningquiz.com. That's the starting place for everything. If you want to connect via socials, listeningquiz.com will point you to that and you can take the quiz. And if you want to get access to any other resources we kind of touched on today about the five levels of listening, listeningquiz.com. Thank you so much.